Welcome to today's episode of the Insurance Life and Everything in Between podcast. My name is Adam Bersan. And I'm Chris Smith. If you've yet to do so, hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. And if you love this podcast, don't forget to share it with a friend or colleague. We greatly appreciate your help and support. All right, so we're back today again with another podcast episode. If you're watching us on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. If you're watching us on a podcast platform today, Find how you follow it on Spotify or what have you, and make sure you do that as well. We're really working hard to bring our content across the social media environment. So wherever you are, make sure you're following us. All right. So we're back at the very end of November. Thanksgiving is coming past. So Adam, today we're talking about doing whatever it takes, or or more particularly, what does that even mean? Hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving. It sounds like you worked all week to get that house ready and provide Thanksgiving to 100 million people across the Illinois area. Before we get into the topic, though, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that first. How was your Thanksgiving and how was hosting the entire state of Illinois? It was something. I mean, we do it every year, but it was mainly just the whole preparation more than anything. You know, we we have a unfinished basement that my kids will go down and play in all the time and just leaving their toys all over the place. I mean, it, it turns into a mess just because nobody else ever really goes down there. And so I decided, you know, we got to pick this up a little bit and that because people are coming over, just got to clean it up. And it was a process. It was a, it was a project. So, you know, that took me a few days to, to kind of get clean. And I mean, I was working on it all the way up until maybe a couple hours before people got here. And my wife was actually surprised. Like she couldn't believe that I actually got it all done. But, you know, like anything else, I mean, that's just kind of how I am. I mean, I start something, I want to get it done and I'm going to, I'm going to just keep working until I'm able to get it done. Had to stay motivated, you know, had to stay motivated my hands a little sore just from all of the hard labor of, you know, picking stuff up and moving it around. And I mean, then I'm taking all these bins from the basement and I'm throwing them up in the attic in the garage and. You know, I moved everything into the garage on before Thanksgiving. And then Saturday, all the stuff I moved in the garage, well, then I had to make room up, up in the attic. So yeah. And then yesterday I had to finish cleaning up the garage. So yeah, just a lot of, a lot of labor. You know, like I said, honestly, it, it, it made me feel pretty good and it made me kind of feel good about just everything with kind of getting back into the swing with just kind of building and growing and and making something happen with everything. It was kind of like one of those, you achieve your goal and now you're ready to kind of move forward. And, but kind of the same thing, I can, I can do the same thing when it comes to work. I think a lot of people struggle because they don't really realize that hard work feels good. And maybe if that doesn't, then this isn't a good fit for an entrepreneurial type journey. But all of us that really are a great fit for this business they realize that when you get out there, you knock the doors, you dial the phones, you run the appointments, you give the presentations, that stuff feels good. And it feels good equally to get back into routine. Because I think there's somebody today, you know, we're filming this the Monday after Thanksgiving weekend that isn't going to go out to work, that isn't going to dial the phone, set appointments, give presentations, do the fundamentals, and they're going to get stuck in the holiday hangover. And then before you know it, they'll have skipped today, then they'll skip tomorrow. And they'll give up on the rest of the year and they'll never feel good again because they just didn't get back to work. You know, just to be repetitive here, I really do feel like that hard work does feel good when you are a good fit for 
owning your own business. Yeah, I mean, it's that sense of accomplishment. I mean, even like I said, even with the house, even with the basement, like going down there now, it feels good. It's like a breath of fresh air walking down there and everything's nice and clean and in and, and in order mm-hmm. and and a lot less stressful. I think, uh, you know, sometimes mess can just kind of lead to stress. So I think that, you know, kind of clearing up that bit of stress over here really helps me move forward with the main objective of really moving forward with, with work because now I got all that stuff past me. I don't even have to think about that other stuff anymore. Now I can move forward with focusing on, uh, you know, larger tasks at hand. Do you decorate for thanks or for Christmas right after Thanksgiving? Or do you guys have a particular day you decorate? Do you decorate on Christmas Eve? Like what's your family tradition on decorating for Christmas? I actually, I'm already done decorating outside. I, I started decorating, well, like a, the weekend prior to Thanksgiving. I, I pay somebody to put all the lights on my house just because I don't like going up on the high parts of the house. The first year we 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 built our house and we moved in, I I walked out onto the roof out of my son's bedroom and was like, never mind, I'm not doing this. So... <laughs> I, I can pay somebody to do this. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not messing with it. But outside of that, I, yeah, I do the rest. I do like, you know, the parkway trees. I do the bushes. I, I do most of the outside. And my wife decorates most of the inside. She, she put up the trees yesterday actually, and uh, was working on that. So, so yeah, we just kind of split it up a little bit. And but it was kind of nice to get it done a little bit earlier before it got so cold out outside this year. Yeah, we kind of did the same thing. We woke up the day after Thanksgiving, after people had come and gone and put fall away pretty quickly. Kids got out of bed and fall was gone. And then by the end of the weekend, we had most of the decorations done, bought a few extra, probably bought too many, came to the realization you don't need any more and you should probably buy presents at this point in time. But yeah, I I think we kind of follow the same pattern when it comes to decorating, enjoying it, and then getting back to work which kind of leads us into today's main topic that allows you to spend money on decorating and hiring people to decorate and join Thanksgiving and Christmas is the whatever it takes mindset. I think that's a great bumper sticker phrase. I think I've seen agencies use it as their name, but what really even is that? Like, I think that's important to unpack over the next 10 or 15 minutes. Practically speaking, what is doing whatever it takes? How's that sound? Yeah, it's just... To me, it's, well, it's what it says, doing whatever it takes, putting it all out there. And, and at the end of the day, knowing that you gave it your all and knowing that when I get home at night, that I, I couldn't have done anymore, that, that I didn't go home early. I, I stayed out as long as I could. I, you know, you, you go home knowing that, that you, you left it all out on the table and, and and without any regrets, you know, you're putting the time in and you're doing everything that you can to to achieve that success. Yeah, I had a situation recently that I observed. I think really what the difference between whatever it takes in kind of a retail setting, and it sounds strange, but it also parallels back into our business too. It's like you ever go into a store and they say to you, do you want to sign up for the rewards program? Or you go to a restaurant and they're like, Tommy's Tavern, we have a new a reward system where if you get enough points, you get money off. 
how many of those servers and retail workers actually ask the question and then set it up? Like I've noticed only a few really do whatever it takes to offer whatever their company's reward program is. You ever notice that? I've noticed that. I wonder too, though, is, you know, it may, what are the incentives? Are there incentives to, to get the people to ask? I mean, it, to me, I mean, more people are going to ask if there's some incentive involved and it's going to help them out as well. And then it's sometimes the one extra question, like everybody instinctively, even in the retail setting says, oh, no, thank you. Never mind. Not interested. But, but why? Like I, I was in Williams and Sonoma yesterday. Talk about the most bougie place you can buy run of the mill adult toys. And I realized that I was looking at their like payment screen that they had the same reward system as Pottery Barn, place where you can buy bougie adult decorations. And the lady didn't even mention their rewards program. I noticed it because I have Pottery Barn rewards and now it works here too. And I saved an extra $10 by noticing something she didn't even ask the question about. So it's like asking that one extra question really makes a big difference even in that setting. But like you said, whatever it takes, what's the incentive behind the retail employee to even ask the question? Whatever it takes on our side of the fence. I wrote down here, money, activity, and doing one more. Do you think somebody can really say they did whatever it takes to be successful in insurance sales if they've only ever bought leads a few weeks or a few months or one time? No, a lot of it's the habits, having to create habits out of the tasks that we do once or twice. It's got to get to the point where it's repetitive, where, where every week, we talk about people lining themselves up with people that, that had been successful, that know what they're doing, and, and just kind of replicating that. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. There's no shortcuts. If someone has been successful and they've done it, there's a reason why they're doing things the way that they're doing them. And it's just a matter of, and, and again, I mean, heck, if that person that was very successful, they're ordering leads every single week, and then... You say, well, you know what? I mean, it, Christmas is coming up. I got other things to do. I'm not going to, I'm going to take a week off of leads. Well, then you didn't do whatever it takes and you're not going to have the same sort of results. So, I mean, again, if it's not broken, there's no reason to try to fix it. I gotcha. I think that sometimes, especially this time of year, there are so many reasons to justify underperformance. Like, well, you know, my kids had a Christmas concert. All of our kids did. Probably have multiple concerts to go to. Well, you know, I had to go out and spend the money on gifts instead of leads, or I couldn't go out because it was cold out, or I couldn't go out because it got dark soon. Agree or disagree, this time of year has an excuse if you choose to find it, and plenty of them. Yeah, I mean, any time of year, really. I mean, summertime, it was it was just way too hot out. I had to come home. It was just too hot. Wintertime was too cold. My car's not dependable. You know, I don't have a warm enough jacket. Like, I mean, you could come up with, you know, any excuse in the book. I've always said more people need to come up with excuses why they need to be working. And we've talked a lot about rearranging your schedule, even if you need to. For instance, my daughters are in cheerleading. They have a state competition on Thursday. They, they're, they're taking the day off of school for it. And I mean, I usually work all day on Thursday. And I told my wife, I said, well, I, you know, if, if the competition is on Thursday and Saturday, well, I guess that means I'll be working on Friday this week. 
So where I usually that's my day where I'm, you know, in, in the office kind of working on other stuff. So it's just a matter of, you know, rearranging the schedule to to still be able to get in as much time as I need to to make sure that I can hit those goals and and everything where like that where I can say that I I did whatever it took this week to to hit the numbers that I needed to hit. I think it's so important that in the process of having a rigid schedule that you're committed to, putting your schedule first and everything else in line with that, also being flexible when necessary, but then not overly flexible. Like you're talking about having to adjust to attend a family function, and that's the beauty of what you do. You don't have to ask anyone's permission at work to do so. Same thing here. I've got something I have to do Tuesday. I've got something I have to do Wednesday. They're important family and child-related stuff that I have to attend to. So I'm adding time on Thursday to make up for the shortages on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then in between your morning training and our podcast today, I had a call and I had a, a potential curveball on that schedule. Like the schedule's already set. Like I apologize. I can't be any more flexible than I've already become for this week. I'm not able to do that. And I don't mean that in a mean way or a disrespectful way or an inflexible way, but there is a fine line between being flexible and being too flexible and recognizing that you have to put first things first in your, in your business if it's going to be successful. Yeah. Now, as you continue to grow with uh, your, your agency, I know my experience in the past has been that, you know, the bigger I get, the more difficult it is to, to get out and, and work. I mean, I built up my, my prior company to the point where, I mean, just tons of agents working under me and my phone would just be ringing all day. And I'd find myself stuck in a parking lot rather than door knocking leads. I'd be stuck in a parking lot on my phone like all day answering one call after another. And, and, you know, yeah, I needed to help agents to, to be able to write business as well, but it was setting me back a little bit from what I was actually out in the field to do. I mean, do you ever have problems like that or because you kind of have your schedule, you have appointments set, do most of your agents just kind of understand, you know, what your schedule looks like and the best ways to get a hold of you if they need you? Or like, how do you handle uh, still being able to get out in the field as you continue to grow? I think it's, a again, just like your schedule and your family and your responsibilities as a parent and as an adult, same thing with your agency. There's a fine line between attending to tasks and then scheduling tasks. Like I think my core agents know what day is a great day to give me admin things to do for you. Something maybe I forgot to do, something that I didn't do, something that you need to have done. Monday, great day to have that done. Let me know, send me an email. I'll take care of it. Tuesday, I'm selling just like you're selling. And if this isn't a sales related question, send it in an email. It'll get handled on an admin day. And a lot of those admin kind of things, they don't need to be done that day. They don't need to be done yesterday or tomorrow. They can get done at some point during the week, 10 o'clock at night, six in the morning. A lot of them don't need to be done or they can be delegated to the contracting team, the lead team, the, the admin for the team. Somebody else can do them. I think that they recognize that when I'm selling and they're selling, it also sets an example. Like, all right, well, he's doing it. Why am, why am I not doing it? Like, I'm going to ask him about this training question right now when he's selling it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense but then on the agency building side you also get to a certain point where you have to say my personal production is getting in the way of my agency growth 
and where do they run into each other? Like at Mm -hmm. what point do I need to put them ahead of myself? And that's where I've gone from like a four-day field a week to a three-day field a week to a two-day field a week to put them in priority over myself in those situations and then still set that example, lead from the front, but take care of them from behind. It's all a very fine balancing act, I think. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, being as high of a producer as as you are, I think that it could be it can be difficult to completely get out of the field because you're you have to offset, you know, your time that you would be out writing business to while working with agents and seeing if that's going to make up for, I guess, what you could say, what you're losing from from going out and working yourself. So. Yeah, like you said, I think there is a bit of a balancing act there to try to to figure that out. I mean, I, in the past, people have told me, well, once you get to 100000 in premium as an agency, that should get you out of the field. But I mean, heck, if you're, you know, if you're writing 300000 400000 in premium a year, well, I don't think that 100000 a month you know, is going to make up for the, the income that, that you would be making going out writing that business yourself. I ask that question a lot to a lot of people with even bigger agencies and bigger experiences in the business when I did a podcast series for insurance toolkits. And a lot of the guidance I got from people bigger than me is when you've replicated yourself in the field and they're doing what you're doing, you can ease off even more. And it's like you got to produce a 40K a month producer to produce yourself out of it. That's one guidance I heard. I also think that it's very easy, like you're saying, for a 10K a month producer to get out of the field versus a 40K a month producer. It's a big difference. I think it has a lot to do with what spread you have on your agency. If you decide you're going to put your agents first and do whatever it takes for them to be successful, you're probably not ripping 50, 60 points off of them. And if you're on a smaller spread and you're making less from their work, you need to work harder. So that fine line approach says, yeah, I probably could get out of the field sooner if I took more money off of their work, but I also want them to make more money. So where does that balancing act come in? Yeah. Yeah. Again, yes, it's difficult, but yeah, I just, I was kind of curious about that because like I said, in the past, I mean, people say a hundred thousand gets you out of the field, but yeah, I mean, if, if you're making a good income, it's to me, it's difficult to completely get out of the field. I think the end goal needs to be to get to the point where you no longer have to be out in the field. But again, I mean, you know, the whole replication, it's not easy to find someone to replace yourself if you're writing 30 or 40,000 in premium every month. I mean, that's a, a rarity to find someone who's going to to work that way as much as we want and try to help our agents get to that point. Not everybody's going to do it. I mean, I, but but again, I mean, I think it's a numbers game too. I mean, try to help as many people as it can. You know, maybe you're not going to find that thirty or forty thousand dollar a month producer, but I mean, heck, I'll take four ten thousand dollar producers any day. I I was at a point and transparency. I don't think I'm there right now, but I was at a point a while back where we're at a hundred k a week, you know, seventy one week, eighty five the next, one hundred five, like averaging like a hundred k. Not there right now. That's fine. I'm not afraid to be honest about numbers. But we're trying to get more invested on the Medicare side too. Like, you know, all this final expense is beautiful. But if you're still having to bang doors 10 years later, you're still in the same spot you were. So we're trying to diversify and do both at the same time. 
which is again in the best interest of the agent, not necessarily the biggest override for the the next tier up. But 100k a week at that point, I think was I was neglecting them to put myself first because 100k a week was multiple legs producing, multiple legs growing, multiple admin responsibilities being created, multiple filters having to be put through to make sure people aren't putting bad business through. I think that 100k week mark is probably a lot more than the 100k a month mark on when you can really pull back into a whole different level of, of management. And then also delegating, like when you're trying to grow, realizing you don't need to do everything. Same way as a personal producer. If you're watching this and you're a personal producer, you're probably doing some things right now you shouldn't be. Like you can hire someone to set the appointment, someone to manage your CRM, have your kids like cut your business cards out and put the magnets on them for you, get them involved in your business. Like a lot of the things that are slowing you down is because you're not delegating those tasks out to somebody else or realizing I don't even have to do that. Like, why is that a thing that I'm doing? Because that thing doesn't make me any money. So, you know, talking about a CRM, sorry, Chris, you know, talking about a CRM, I don't know. I mean, been in the business just about 21 years now. Like if all I ever did was personally produce, I don't feel like I would need a CRM. Mm -hmm. I just, I really don't. Working leads, you know, maybe something to just kind of stay organized with, with my leads, but you know, even like, you know, that or like LinkedIn social media. I didn't, I never had a LinkedIn account until I decided I wanted to start building and growing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, a I, when I got hired at my, my prior uh, place of employment, I mean, they asked me for a resume. Like I had to put something together. I didn't have a resume. Like, I mean, I'm just out working. So I, I sometimes I wonder if people, agents are, are doing too much of the busy work mm-hmm. that they don't need to be doing. They, they just need to be focusing on going out and seeing people and they're wasting too much time, you know, focusing on, you know, what CRM they need and all this other stuff. Like I said, I mean, I used it. I, it really helps when it comes to communication with agents, but I just don't, maybe, maybe with Medicare, it's different with the communication with, you know, keeping up with the clients and everything else. But these for final expense, I just, I haven't really had, if I was just personally producing, I don't really see like I would need a, a CRM. Yeah. I, my definition of a CRM, like Nick had a very long winded, but well pointed post about it once on our group, a CRM to me in most ways is my notability. My notability has 90% of my client base in it. It's got them saved by Adam Bersan and then the date that I sold them a policy. So I could sit there in my car on a morning and search 1128. And then all of a sudden, anybody I've ever sold on 1128 since 2017 in that system pops up. I go back and see them for an annual review. That's really my CRM. Um, Recently, with um, hiring an admin and having to give them things to do, uh, it's kind of been more of a Google spreadsheet. And the Google spreadsheet became more necessary on the Medicare side to know, all right, so Adam disenrolled. Well, got to go back and see Adam and figure out why he disenrolled because it's more back-end income than front-end income in that situation. Mm -hmm. And then utilizing a CRM to remind myself, oh, there's a birthday opportunity. There's a turning 65 opportunity. There's a, I sold him 3,000 of insurance three years ago. What was I thinking? What in the world? Like those kind of opportunities that come Mostly through delegation. Like I'm not managing that 
at all. That's all on an admin to take care of. Because like you're saying, I think most agents are too busy and busy work than actually personally producing. Yeah. I mean, like if I was just out writing business, yeah, I mean, right now, kind of same thing. I mean, I use the notability and it works and I save everything. I mean, I have a whole, you know, I have different folders set up, you know, with uh, different things too. When it, when it comes to well, like, if I make a sale, then that, that lead is kind of moving over into my, my sale. And then, you know, you can also add it, the copy of the application and everything else in there. So you have access to everything. So yeah, I mean, that, that has come in handy and that, that, but that takes two seconds. It's not like I'm mm-hmm. spending all day inputting data and, I don't know. Sometimes I just feel like some people overanalyze the the business and they make it more complicated than it needs to be. Where if they just focused on going out and working, they'd be making more money. And, you know, maybe they, even if they're not the most organized, if you're buying leads every week, you're going to always have new people to go see and you're going to make sales. Like I said, I mean, until I started to build and grow, and and really needed help when it came to communication with agents. I just I never had a need for it. I I probably never even would have looked up what a CRM was had I not get it got into agency building. Yeah, I also use my email in a lot of ways as a CRM or a to do list. Like I'll yellow flag emails that need to be read. I'll pay attention to what's coming in and what's going out. Like I use that in an organized manner. My text messages in some ways are a CRM, like an agent I want to invite into a training. I want to have a follow-up conversation with. If you've gotten that text, that was probably, you know, you, if you're watching the video right now, it was, that's a CRM to me as a list of people that I want to have business relationships with and offer resources to and carriers and leads. I use that as a CRM. I think the biggest confusion is in many cases when people talk CRM, They're talking about a lead management device or program, not necessarily a customer resource management. Like if you're on digital leads and you need them nurtured and funneled and all that stuff, that's a whole different process than listing your book of business and servicing your book of business and cross-selling your book of business and noticing lapses and increased opportunities in your book of business. So when I'm talking in CRM and you're talking CRM, We're talking actual agent and customer management, not lead gen and lead management and sales creation. Yeah. And that's where, like I said, I think, I think it does make sense on the Medicare side with how every single year, I mean, heck, I mean, I feel like there's just all these headhunters out there just trying to, you know, get in and replace business and you got to keep up with your clients maybe a little bit more than the final expense with making sure that they stay with you. So, I mean, I, I think that I, I could definitely see the value in, in having something to kind of keep up with that communication. The larger you get, it, it makes it pretty difficult to get on the phone and call every single client. But if you have other, other methods of communication that can be done through automation, or like you said, I guess if you have like your personal assistant, yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that can help as well. Where, and that's where, you know, even with final expense, we never used to ask for email addresses. And now I feel like I'm asking for their email address. And almost everybody I talk to has one now, a lot different than in the past. But, you know, the reason I ask for that too, because I think it'll help when it comes to marketing for other products. 
mm-hmm. talking about the Medicare and everything else. Heck, we've already built a relationship with that person. So now we can maybe bring up and talk to them about other stuff in the future. Yeah, I absolutely find it valuable. And think about it this way on the Medicare side. If you're a life producer and you're not sure how this works on the life insurance side, let's just say you're at a street level contractor, maybe a little lower because you're brand new. Let's just say 100%. You get paid 100% for writing a big name brand carrier. You get that nine month advance and then you get paid month 10, 11, and 12. And then your renewals are like three, four, 5% out of 100% contract. On the Medicare side, you get a little bit of money up front, depending on what time of the year you sold the enroll, you did the enrollment. But then in year two, it's almost as if you're at 100% is your renewal. Like your comp is 100% and it's also 100%. So you need them to stay on the books for the whole thing to make sense. So that's why taking the time to delegate out tasks and build spreadsheets and track that information becomes valuable. But the whole time you have to be working to earn that right, not just sitting there. Adam, I'll close up on this story. We're talking spreadsheets. I had a guy once brand new to the business and boy, good looking, fast talking, performed on stage in Atlantic City. Hopefully he's not watching this video because he probably figured out it was him. He was going to be great. But he sat me down at a meeting once. We're having like one of our team get togethers back in the day. And he's like, yo, come check out my spreadsheet. I'm like, oh no, it's way too soon for a spreadsheet. And he's like, look at all this data I can track. I can tell you that in six years, in the sixth month, how much money I'm making off of Adam Bersan that I wrote last week now. And at that moment, I looked at that spreadsheet. I thought to myself, he's never going to make it. It just, it's too much too soon of stuff that isn't going to put money in his pocket today. So we're talking spreadsheets and CRMs and lead management and doing whatever it takes Whatever it takes starts with working, seeing 15 people a week, and freaking writing business. Again, as you build and grow, you get bigger, you become more successful, then invest some money maybe into some of that other stuff. But step one is get out there, get some leads, go out and see some people, write some business, and the rest will take care of itself down the road. It really does. Don't make excuses, make results. And before we go today, any closing thoughts on what you're looking to do with your week after Thanksgiving? Just ready to kind of get back in the swing of things. Uh, Last week was a a short week. I was only out in the field, what, one day? Yeah, I was out in the field on Tuesday. That was pretty much it. I was out in the field all day Tuesday. I think I wrote a couple apps. So it was, you know, it was decent. It was worthwhile. But yeah, that was it. You know, I just had the one day out in the field and And then Wednesday, like I said, I was kind of getting the house put together. Thursday was Thanksgiving. I feel like I haven't worked in a week, honestly. So I'm ready to kind of get back in the swing of things. And, but you know, what's cool. I mean, you know, you see agents that are hitting it hard. I mean, heck, you know, people hitting it hard the day after Thanksgiving and all weekend, you don't have to take off like that around the holidays. It just, unfortunately, I mean, that's just kind of how you know, how everything happened with myself, but you know, the longer you do it, like you've said in the past, I mean, you kind of get that luxury where if you want to take some time off, you can take that time off to, to do other things. Yeah. As a new agent, I never recommend, you know, cutting off and taking the whole week off around any holiday. Again, you're not doing whatever it takes to succeed, but you can, you'll be rewarded in the future by doing more when you first get started. 
Yeah, I, I don't I I don't think you could ever get to the point where you can earn the time off if you don't do whatever it takes in the beginning. I sure didn't. I didn't take any time outside of like time to breathe and print the leads off and go back into the field and then get more applications when you're filling out paper applications. But seven, eight, 20 years into the business, you've earned the right to take it when you need it, but work hard to be able to get to that point over the course of your career. Adam, I appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate each of you for watching today. Like, comment, subscribe, follow on whatever vehicle in which you're watching us today. We appreciate it. And we'll be back to do the same thing. And this concludes another episode of the Insurance Life and Everything in Between podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend or colleague. And if you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, please leave those too. Any input is greatly appreciated. Thank you.